Welcome to the crap and the crazy with Tash Critter. Tash owns Little Wooden Toy Box and is mother of two teens, both with autism, ADHD and PDA. Ten years in early intervention, working with the kids' OTs, speeches and psychologists has given Tash unique insight into understanding difficult behaviours and why they occur, as well as understanding how emotional regulation and sensory input impacts us and our behaviour. This insight has helped Tash design and implement resources and coping strategies to make home life calmer and more organised. Join Tash as she talks about day-to-day -day life with autism, the sucky bits and the wins, plus tips for enjoying life despite the challenges. Hello and welcome to episode 9. In this episode I'm going to talk about food and sensory issues. Um, this is just something that you know we've done day in day out and I forgot that you know back in the day I was actually talking about it with my kids because um, we're watching young Sheldon at the moment which there's there's a lot of good programs on Netflix with other people with whether they acknowledge it or not autism and you know it's really funny that now that my kids are older and my boy can pretty well pick autism or ADHD in anyone and we talk about it a lot because you know, we don't really do neurotypical in our house um, but we've been watching young Sheldon and you know all his weird sensory issues and the way things need to be and all his routines and doesn't like change and the way he copes with life and you know my boy can pick it in anyone else and we can talk about it in anyone else but he can't see it in himself, which leads to some very funny discussions. And I guess it was from this that we started talking about food and all the weird food things that we used to do when they were little that I'd completely forgotten about. So just in case it helps anyone out there who has issues with their little ones and food, just going through some of the things that we used to do. Uh, my biggest one, and I've covered expectations, and I will probably refer to expectations in every single episode, is to drop them you know as far as parenting should be this way my kids should do this they should eat this this and this and yeah yeah they probably should but life with autism looks very different yes and you do what you can and you pick your battles it doesn't mean you write off vegetables for the rest of their lives but you may write off green things for now while you're focusing on something else like behaviors or coping or not as many meltdowns yeah Food can be a massive trigger for meltdowns. And if you step back and actually look at food, there are so many different sensory elements, the way it looks, the way it feels, the texture, uh, whether it's crunchy or hard or soft, um, the color, the smell, yeah? And another big thing with kids with autism, when they touch, when different foods touch on the plate, that's, that's full grounds for a nice meltdown, yeah? And it just is and it doesn't matter how much you disagree it doesn't matter how much you think your kids should eat this much meat and then have many colors on the plate or whatever else autism doesn't work that way yeah and it can be a constant fight every single not even night it can be a constant fight every single meal or you could go all right this looks different step back and look why and try and understand and have empathy there for your kid who's uh, you know, having these over-the-top reactions for something as simple as food, but to them it's very, very real, yeah? Um, so I, I think I've covered it before as far as, all right, we'll tackle this. Um, my kids must have been two and four, 
and I was gonna try and make the meat broccoli. Yeah, which normally I didn't really do the whole fight over food, um, but I decided to this time. My kid's gagging at the table, which makes me wanna throw up, and no one's enjoying themselves. When your kid's sitting there having a full meltdown over broccoli, like, mm, this is not how I wanna do life, yeah? So, rewinding back, um, I remember things based on which house we were in at the time. So I think this was the house before or after. Anyway, um, so we used to do the divider plates here yeah? because once I realized that it was such a massive deal to have your foods, like different colored foods or textured foods touching, uh, we had those divider plates, which I completely forgotten about. We've moved past this. It does get better if you're in the middle of all this, um, you know, learning what autism is and managing the meltdowns and everything else. It does get better, better, it gets, you know, it changes, it's different as they get older, but you're not using separator plates forever. I hope that helps someone today. Um, so yeah, we had the separator plates, so foods did not touch. Sauces, sauces still can't touch. Um, and I, it, it doesn't result in a meltdown anymore, but yeah, it did for many, many years. We finally at 15 years got past that. But anyway, everything had to be separate. If you don't know what I mean by a separator plate, it's a plate, but it's got ridges in it. So it keeps, it has about four sections on the plate and it keeps the food separate, yeah? Same with lunch boxes. We use the bento box lunch boxes because each compartment is different and doesn't touch. So we can eat a range of foods for lunch now and they don't touch because of the bento boxes. Great invention, whoever came up with them. Anyway, so once we move from the separator plates to what did we do then? I think we took away the separation. No, no, so separator plates back in the day, they would have been the one colored food separate on the plate, yeah? So if you happen to have, I think we did corn, corn would be yellow bits of corn there. Um, then you would have your mince or whatever, I don't know, carrot sticks, apple, whatever was on the plate, yeah? They're all separate, all not touching, different colors, textures, don't touch, yeah? So then we graduated to actually being able to put the veggies in the spaghetti, yeah? And yes, you can do the hidden ones, but I also wanted to, well, look, you didn't do that for every meal or cooking's not my thing, I can't remember. But there's times where you don't hide everything, yes? Point there. Um, so they would get the main meal on their plate, but they would give them separate bowls to pick out the bits that they wanted, yeah? Because I was not going to cook, you're lucky, I did cook, yes, I still do. But you're lucky to get one meal, let alone three separate ones at any given meal town, yeah? So I did not do the separate cooking, still don't. Um, they get what they get, but it's up to them to pick it out, yes? That's where I drew the line. Whereas, look, if you're into food and you don't mind cooking it and, you know, your mental health isn't gonna go over the edge and that works for you, by all means, go ahead. This is what worked for us. And then from there, actually, I don't know if we actually progressed from there. <laughs> they, they still get, um, so I will have the one meal. They still get that on the plate. They've got the option whether they eat it or not. And I just eat it as leftovers afterwards because it's not like they slobber all over it. They're, they're older now. Would not have done that with toddlers or small children. That's disgusting. Again, you may do that completely fine for you. Um, it's really hard as well when you've got two or more on the spectrum and they have their, you know, their different food issues. So I've said before that my boy, um, he likes brown and mushy, yeah? Which chips fall into that, nuggets fall into that, baked beans, 
Wheat Bix, any kind of cereal actually, and he won't eat it crunchy. He waits till it all swells up and gets all swampy and disgusting. And you can see, like me, I'm still scarred from watching that kid eat Wheat Bix when he was a baby. Ugh, they're disgusting. Both of them, disgusting children. Love them, but they're so gross. My boy with his Wheat Bix, I don't know what he did. He was able to eat with his spoon, so gross motor skills were fine uh, when he was little. But he'd managed to get the Wheat Bix under all the layers of his clothes and under the, this is when we're talking about in a high chair, like the toddler seat things, in all the straps, all packed down the sides. Um, there, are, there are a number of times, great parent here, um, where I got, so it was the high chair that sat on a normal chair. So I was able to pick up him in the top part of the chair, took the whole lot up outside and hosed him down. And this would have been in summer, obviously. And this was something he loved, not, I wasn't torturing my child. Um, but that was just the easiest way to deal with all that mushy wheat bix. Disgusting. So yeah, he still finds it challenging foods that smell different, look different, or have strong smells. Um, and you know, it's been, you pick your battles and you, I guess as a parent, decide what's more important as far as life skills, life skills go and whatever else. So for him, um, he would often towards the end of the day, gets really hungry, doesn't stop and eat throughout the day, I suppose, much like his mother. Um, so when I'm cooking dinner, that's when he would be, like he needed feeding right now. So he would get his own wheat bix and that was a way of him self-regulating, yeah? So he would use his wheat bix at nighttime as a tool, as a strategy to self-regulate, to keep himself calm, to get through the dinner, which, is frustrating because you're cooking dinner and your kids just filled up on four wheat bix or whatever else. Um, but he would generally still try whatever we were eating. Now, for him, it doesn't seem to really impact how much he eats at dinner time, whether he has his wheat bix before or after. He still does that now. That's still a strategy that works for him. And yes, I could fight that as far as no, you need to eat your dinner. But what is the point sitting together eating dinner? if he's screaming and having a meltdown because he hasn't got, like he hasn't self-regulated, yeah? Um, and yes, you could then bang on about, we could have dinner earlier or we could, you know, but it, it just doesn't play out that way, at least not in our house. So, you know, his food, him getting it is, is actually a really good tool and strategy for him to self-regulate, um, even though he may not be eating everything on his plate at dinner time. Yeah, does that make sense? Whereas my girl, my girl pretty well ate anything and everything. She was a disgusting story for her. She would eat with her hands. She, she just didn't use knives, forks, spoons. So this is to the point where she would eat yogurt. She would scoop it. If you can see me here watching the video, where's my hand there? She would scoop it like this, scoop it out the tub and face palm it into her face and ugh, disgusting. I still can't really eat yogurt. She still does and no, she, she eats it normally now. Um, but that took a good long time. And again, sensory. And it wasn't an aversion. She really enjoys yogurt on her hands. Yeah? And my boy will actually do that with Nutella. Oh, that freaks me out. And I will not look at them while they're eating. We actually watch a movie um, while we're eating. And we have every night. And that's been our routine forever. So it started, I guess it started after those Nagala days when I realized the importance of routine. 
So they would both have their bottles at nighttime lying on their little couch and we'd watch probably Nemo over and over and over. And now we watch movies together, or series, movies, whatever. And we still do that every night as a way of coming together at the end of the day. And for us, no, it's not conversation. You don't ask how their day was. You don't look at them because you've got that confrontational, um, that's a part of the PDA, the um, excessive demand avoidance, which again, I'll talk about another day. So we face the same way. We turn the volume up because none of us can deal with the noise that we make chewing. I can't even stand the noise of myself chewing food. Yeah. So. Yes, and look, that's what dinner times look like for us. And we've deliberately not got a second TV um, in the house, especially with teenagers. And you know, as they grow up and become more independent, that's something that I have chosen as, you know, it's important in our house to come together at the end of the day. And even if we don't all agree with what we're watching, and yes, we have fights over picking whatever we're going to watch, but it's still us coming together and being together. And yes, that looks different from maybe your family or not, but something that works for us and how we manage food. I know I've gone a bit all over the place with the food thing. I hope some of this helps as far as, look, strategies that may or may not work for you. And if nothing else, then, you know, it's okay for it not to look how you want it to look or how you expected it to look or how your mother-in-law thought or thinks it should look, yes? So, dropping your expectations, changing your expectations, trying different things, seeing what works for you and your family, and you know, whatever you try right now, maybe an absolute absolute disaster, or it may work, and it may be something that you keep for the next 10 years, or it may work for a period of time, a season, and then you need to look at it again, and assess it again, and how's that working for you, and your mental health, and the kids and yeah and yeah living together is so much fun with autism um pick your battles and compromise and yeah okay to not be okay all right i'm gonna go i'll talk to you soon bye